Blog Talk Radio. Today we're welcoming back Greg Hickey. He's an author. Uh, he's got a new book out called Parabellum, and we have a nice chat about all kinds of stuff. Here's Greg. Hi, Greg. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sherry. Thank you for having me. It's good to be back. I'm happy to have you back. It's been uh, six months? Something like that, yeah. I know we talked, I think, during early stages of the pandemic. So. Yeah. Who would think that it had grown this bad? But Well, actually, the people who do that kind of thing knew. But the people were warning us. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, it, yeah, horrible. How are you? Is everybody okay? Um, yeah, I mean, personally, I'm fine. Um, family's healthy. deal for that part uh, and I it's just my world that I see is my walk around the block which is the same walk every day so I don't see much <laughs> yeah the neighborhood's probably a little quieter now yeah although um, during the riots they were right next to our house our apartment oh okay so I stayed in during that part because it was safer. 
Um, but, you know, the protests were down. That was fine. I, I, I walked out to watch and stuff and, and support. But, um, but then the riots started and I just went back in my place and prayed that nobody did anything through our windows. <laughs> yeah, we did, we had, sorry, we had some riots and looting here in Chicago, but it seemed like it was mostly confined to commercial areas. And I mean, there are some areas in Chicago where there are commercial buildings and with uh, apartments or condos on, on top of those commercial places, but, you know, for the most part, it was confined to downtown area commercial areas. And I have a theory that it, it's not the same people, because everything I heard, at least here in San Diego, was that the people who were in the protest left, they got into their cars, and it was like two or three hours later when these things started happening. So these are just people who are are taking advantage of the situation and doing havoc. And yeah, I read some similar things to people coming from out of outside the city and people coming from, you know, neighborhoods that were maybe were not as much affected. And, and then, of course, I think the overwhelming number of protests or uh, demonstrations were peaceful. You know, maybe 99% peaceful and 1% turned aggressive and there was looting and so forth. But I think, you know, what gets overshadowed oftentimes in the media is that for the most part, there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, disturbances going on around the city. Afterwards, we had not, we had protests, but we didn't have any problems afterwards. So, I don't think, I, I, I know that L.A. had some major problems. Um, but I don't think it was, most of them were, like you said, peaceful. I think 90%. Yeah. But, um, I just, I want uh, people to recognize that people are good, mostly, and that this is stuff that needs to be addressed. And then once it's addressed, then we wouldn't have it anymore, you know, the protests. Sure, yeah. Uh, certainly, um, protests are certainly pointing to a, an important aspect of society that needs to change. And yeah. On all of us, the help move that change forward. Yep. I agree with that completely. Um, and you're healthy and your family's healthy and everybody's cool? Yes, we're all healthy. And you, you and your family? We're fine. Um, I had a, I got sick, but it had nothing to do with COVID. <laughs> right. Okay. And you're recovering now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm still sort of restricted, um, but I'm recovering. Um, I tend to put a lot of stress on myself, and it was part of what made me sick. So, okay. <laughs> I try to be, I'm trying not to do that anymore. That's really hard when it's part of your makeup, though. <laughs> yeah, it's hard at a time like now when things are getting a lot more stressful. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, de-stress, yoga, meditate, uh-huh. And then the news comes and all that goes... Before this ha happened, I remember um, a few years back, uh, as a birthday present, my brother got me a massage. And I went in, I got the massage, it was great, I felt wonderful. As soon as I came out of the store, all this 
stuff started happening. Any relaxation I had disappeared without within seconds. I mean, nothing violent or bad. Oh, no. It's just stresses of life. But everything right. started happening. And it just, like, yeah, it, happened, it helped for, like, three seconds. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I paid for my massage, walked out the door, and hell started. Um... <laughs> But, you know, like I said, that's just, uh, it, there's, it, I deal with stuff by reading, uh, reading and watching movies and TV shows, and I try to kind of focus on humor or comedy or romance or non-icky mystery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like a good approach right now. Mm-hmm. You know, like Agatha Christie and Dorothy Sayers, things like that. Sure. <laughs> For the mystery. And the old, what do yeah. they call it? The comfort mysteries or something? Although they're not very comfortable. I mean, some of them are really icky if you really read some of them, but not all of them. You just have to pick and choose the right ones that aren't icky down. Sure. <laughs> and then when things get normal, I'll read everything again. <laughs> hey, there you go. Um... So, anything interesting happening in your job, or, I mean, I don't know if you're allowed to talk about it. Um, it, you know, things are starting to pick up again for a while. Uh, um, in the early days of the pandemic, we kind of closed the lab for a few weeks, and we were limiting how much evidence could be brought in, um, and then, you know, we reopened slowly, and the police agencies that we serve started going back and bringing in evidence, and it started to pick up again. And now it seems like the courts are getting things back up and running, so um, I've got some subpoenas that I have to attend to. I've got to, I'll probably have to testify a couple times in the next few weeks. So kind of getting back to normal, um, trying to figure out how to, to live and, you know, handle the justice system, I guess, with, with this virus that doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. I know. It's just, though it's, it's going to be, it, it doesn't really matter about the election, what, about the, whether the virus is going to go away. It's the handling of it that will change um, after the election. That's the whole point. Um, the virus isn't going to go away. It, it, I, I, it's not going to go poof. I mean, that's not the way it works. No, the virus doesn't care who's in the presidency. Yep. I mean, uh, look at what I mean, England's already gone through theirs, still having problems. So it's just it doesn't just go away. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's something I really like is that other people have these elections, and the time period that they talk about it and the campaigning goes on is really short. It's maybe like two months, maybe at the most. Ours goes for like three years. <laughs> It seems like it. every year it seems to get longer and longer. The campaign season. I, I I think this should be like maybe that could be the next thing is that they lower the amount of time they can do the actual campaigning. You can only campaign for like maybe three months, and the rest of the time just mm -hmm. do your job. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
I think I think it's a good rule. Um, <laughs> that way we won't have to suffer. Uh, you know, the rest of the, the country won't have to suffer. <laughs> right, the rest of us don't have to listen to all this for a year or so. I know. But it, it has been, it feels like it's been almost three years of the whole thing, you know, even before any candidates were uh, selected to uh, be in the different parties. Uh, it, it, it's been going on forever. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's my that's my idea. That we should just have really short periods. <laughs> I think that'd be nice. Yeah, I'm on board. Um. Okay. So you have a new book. Do you want to tell us about it? I do have a new book. Yes. Um. It's called Parabellum. It's a story set in my hometown of Chicago, and it's about a fictional mass shooting incident that occurs at a beach here. Uh, so it starts with the aftermath of this attack, and then it follows four main characters throughout the story um, over the course of about a year leading up to the attack. And it investigates each of these characters and looks at how and why they might have been involved with the eventual mass shooting. And um, is it is it gonna like? go like from the time that at like each of their plannings or or each of their inductment inducement sorry into working into this plan or this um the mass shooting um will it show how they become involved yes so i mean the action of the story takes place in the year before the mass shooting but there are flashbacks for each of the character to their childhoods and their experiences growing up and pretty much everything they go through whether it's you know in their childhood or over the course of the year being up to the shooting influences their behavior and influences um, this progression that they all have toward violence oh I, I that's really interesting um, how did you vary the different ones so they're all different I mean did you like have like a map of the characters? I'm just thinking it's structurally. Because um, you have the. How many people are involved? Uh, so there are four main characters, and uh, you can, I guess, think of them as suspects, but um, yeah, four people who, you know, could plausibly be involved with this attack. So did you like map out those four people's whole lives before you started the story? Or was it. Like like going back and forth. How how did you structure it? So as far as writing it, um, I wrote it by focusing on one character at a time. So I kind of pick a, a personality and a set of character traits, and um, oftentimes from a psychological condition, so depression, post traumatic stress disorder, um, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or DTE, which is do a lot of research into that particular condition and, and think about, you know, how this character would respond to the challenges in his or her life. Um, and as I was researching and thinking, I would just kind of start writing down scenes as they came to me. So I'd be free writing all these scenes um, anywhere from, you know, a character at a very young age to moments before the, the eventual attack. Um, so when I finished the first draft, I basically had, you know, four character storylines and then the challenge was figuring out how to blend them all together and you know, kind of balance the story between each of the four characters 
chapter so that you focus on each of the four characters equally, kind of lump them together and maybe a, a theme or a, a point in their progression towards violence. Um, and then kind of build in where there were going to be flashbacks and where it's going to be in the present and keep the story moving forward towards the eventual conclusion of, of the mass shooting incident. So it was kind of three writing to start and then not necessarily outlining, but reordering afterwards. And I know it's a fictional incident, but was it based on something that really happened? Um, no, it's not based on a particular incident. I, I did read, you know, uh, newspaper clippings and reports of previous mass shootings. I read books like Columbine, which is uh, Dave Cullen's account of the shooting at Columbine High School. Uh, books like Masters of Death by Richard Rhodes, which is a historical account of these Nazi extermination squads that would follow the army as they swept through Europe. And this was pre-concentration camps, so as the Nazi army swept through a village in, in Eastern Europe, the extermination squads would follow along and basically just have to execute everyone um, uh, by a mass firing squad. Um, so I was kind of looking at a lot of this historical, these historical accounts, both for, you know, what happened in actual mass shootings, but also how individuals were transformed from, you know, fairly ordinary citizens into really cold-blooded murderers. Interesting. That's really interesting. And and was it something, is it like all of them have the long journey, or is it something that happened, uh, it, it, they were vulnerable for it, and then something happened, like, soon before, and that's why they did it, or, how, or, or were each of them, like, a different storyline? I'm just... I love to know what structure is, so that's why I'm asking this. <laughs> yeah, of course. So uh, each of them has a, a different possible motive, um, and they are all different characters. So um, I made the decision not to give them names, but they're all given descriptive designators. So there's the ex-college athlete, the computer programmer, the high school student, and the army veteran. Those are the four main characters. So they've, as they're designators suggest they've all gone through different paths in life. Um, they all have different experiences. Um, they have varying types and uh, severities of uh, psychological conditions that affect them. And But in one way or another, their backgrounds, their particular psychologies all drive them towards, towards uh, possibly committing a, a terrible act of violence. It's just amazing. It's a really cool. How long did it take you to structure and write it? It probably took me about a year um, writing around my day job to write the first draft. And then from there, I you know, was basically trying to flip the scenes around, you know, putting scenes out on index cards and shuffling them around, trying to figure out what would go where. Um, and that maybe took another few months, and then it was, you know, several months more of revising, um, having the story edited, and, and polishing it up for publication. And who's your, I is it a detective, or is it, who's the one, an investigator? Who's the one who's going to figure it out? Uh, no, there's no investigator, so it's, the reader just follows each of the characters, and, you know, as a reader, you can go into it trying to figure out who 
shooter, or you can just kind of go along for the ride and, and you know follow these characters as they as they move forward. And uh, uh, so, is there a conclusion? Is do are they caught? I mean, I don't want yeah, you so to give your ending, but I'm just just a little idea of because if you don't have an investigator, I'm just curious how it's worked out. Sure. <laughs> sure. So it does end with the actual mass shooting, um, and, and one of the characters is the one that commits the shooting, and then the storylines for each of the four characters wrap up at, you know, following that shooting. Oh, okay. All right. So it ends with the shooting itself. It doesn't end with trying to figure right. out what was going on. You're actually leading the, the reader through all that, so there doesn't have to be a detective. <laughs> right. So, no, there aren't any major questions unanswered at the end of the novel. Okay. And uh, what inspired this? Because it's a really different idea. Yeah, so I mean, it, it really stemmed out of um, the seeming onslaught of mass shooting incidents in the, in the past decade and you know, even going back to the 1990s, but it really seems to have accelerated in, the, in recent years. Um, and what kind of touched it off for me was the back-to-back uh, shooting the movie theater in Aurora, Colorado, and at Sandy Hook Elementary School, um, both which happened a few months apart in 2012. Um, and like everybody else in the country and you know even around the world, I was horrified at what was going on and, and didn't really understand why this kept happening. Um, I think like most people, I don't understand the appeal of shooting up a theater or a school or a concert or a concert full of random helpless people. Um, so writing this novel was really my approach to answer the question of why this keeps happening. Did it help? And it, it, a little bit, yeah. So the title Parabellum is kind of a reference to that. So it, Parabellum comes from the Latin adage Civis Pacum, pacum Parabellum, uh, which means if you want peace, prepare for war. So Parabellum is also the name of popular handgun cartridge. In Europe, it's called the 9mm Parabellum, uh, which means prepare for war. In the United States, we call it the 9mm Luger. But um, anyone who knows guns will recognize this as a popular cartridge. So the title has that obvious connection with guns, but the original Latin quote really resonated with me as I prepared to write, because I was going to this pretty, pretty dark question um, and trying to find some sort of mental clarity and mental peace as I tried to understand mass shooting. Um, but obviously, as I, as I prepared to write this, I knew my search was going to take me to some pretty dark places and require a lot of work and a lot of research and um, be a difficult story to write, them, not just in terms of the structure and balance in these four characters, but also delving into some pretty dark subjects. Yeah, I, I always find it interesting when somebody... Uh, I had a guest who wrote about uh, serial killers and uh, one of the questions I had was does not disturb you reading all those stories because she was editing it and she said she said yeah it does I, I you have to take breaks and you have to you know live your life and do diversity or you, it, it can get to you is that what you did yeah definitely I mean I you know some of the characters were more difficult to write in that sense enough. Some of them are, are a little bit darker on the surface, I guess, than others. 
I think I'm also the type of person that is a little bit better able to kind of handle dark and disturbing subjects. I mean, it certainly helps me in my career as a forensic scientist where I have to, you know, examine guns that were used in crimes and bullets that were recovered from people who have been shot and killed. And, you know, if I wasn't a little bit emotionally detached, um, I don't think I would be able to handle that as, as well as I'm able to, you know. Um, and I think you can say the same thing for someone who's a, a surgeon or any other job that involves, you know, you kind of strip away the, the reasons for doing what we do. question because but you had these four lines of characters these four character studies do you see them intermingling with other people or is it just purely about them is it how the world affects them and their reaction to it or is it just what's going on in their head and and and, and why it's going on in their head or is it both <laughs> A little, a little of both, but I would say for the most part, it's them interacting with other people. Um, so it's, it's not a, it's all told in the third person. So it's, there's no, um, we don't get direct insight to what the characters are thinking. Um, it's, I mean, it's the third person omniscient perspective. So I, I'm, I'm in the character's head, but uh, for the most part, we don't see them directly expressing their thoughts. Um, I did intersperse sections from uh, like a purported journal from the eventual mass shooter throughout the story. So there are, I think, 10 of those um, where you get a, a first-person perspective of the person who eventually becomes the shooter writing in a, in a journal and describing their thoughts and um, their motivations and, and plans for the attack. Um, but for the most part, the characters in their day-to-day lives and in important events in their lives, whether it's in childhood or in their present-day life, all of which kind of interact with their psychology to lead them to um, down this path toward, toward violence. It's just like one of the things that always disturbs me about those events in real life is why? Um... You know, like Sandy Hook. Why kill little babies? I don't understand the mentality of it. Right. Uh, is that something that you addressed in the story? Not Sandy Hook, of course, in particular, but but they discuss about why they do it. Yeah, and I, I think there's a, a balance there between going to into real explicit detail of you know this is what, these are the steps that this character was going through. Uh, I don't want to kind of, it's not supposed to be a, a treatise on um, what happens in, a, in the mind of a mass shooter. Um, but you're right, I, I think there's something very different from going into a school and shooting up a, a bunch of children that you don't really even know, and even something like, uh, 
city or even a, a serial killer stalking and you know stabbing a victim where that serial killer might have a, a connection to the victim or might you know there's some sort of twisted thrill the hunt thing that's, that's terrible but at least you know I can sort of approach an understanding of what's going on in that person's head but I'm, I struggle to comprehend um, what's going on in the mind of a person who just randomly shoots up a, a beach full of strangers or a school full of strangers or, or whatever. It, it's hard to put a finger on what's going on with this. Um, the randomness and the unfamiliarity of, of these attacks. It is scary. And, and, and it always, it's not that I understand it more, but it's more comprehensive when it's something like uh, a terrorism. It's a horrible thing, but it's at least there's some reason behind it, even if it doesn't make sense to me. Um, sure, and you can put a finger on the motive, even if you don't share that motive. <laughs> Can't even imagine imagine having that motive yourself. Exactly, but I don't understand like the people who shot up that venue in Vegas. It's, there's, there was no reason for it. It was crazy. Right. I mean, I know you're not writing yeah, treaties, it's a mystery, but it's just, it, it's an interesting subject that I'm not asking you. <laughs> right, and so that, that's the question that drove me in. So with each of these characters, I tried to kind of offer, I won't say explanations, but a plausible circumstances and events and psychologies that could lead a person down this path. It's really scary that there are people out there that look like they're just living their everyday lives and they're planning this stuff. Right. I think that's an important point, too. So one of the reasons I wanted to go so far back, um, you know, go a year or more before the mass shooting was I think that's really what happens in, in these incidents in real life, the idea that so-and-so was an ordinary citizen and, you know, was a perfectly normal neighbor and then one day just snapped and, and shot up the local Starbucks, I, I don't think is really accurate. I think, for the most part, what I've read in my research is the people who do these kinds of things plan them for a long time in advance, a year or more. So they have a, a very clear idea of what they want to do and what they want to accomplish, and it's not just a matter of a, a sudden psychological break that, that leads to these attacks. And they always say when they're being interviewed, the neighbors say, well, he's just a really nice, quiet guy, really nice guy. He always says hi, and he, he even walked my dog. I mean, it's, it's just, you watch that, and you're like, uh, how do you reconcile that, you know? Um, right. But people don't really, we, I don't know this is all human beings, but I think it is. We all wear a mask. You don't really know what's going on in somebody's mind. Right. And so part of also what I want to do in Parabellum is get the reader to empathize with these characters, not in the sense that they condone or endorse the path they eventually take, yeah. but at least to realize that there's something going on behind the surface um, and, you know, that these people could be anyone. You know, these people are all coming from normal backgrounds. They all they represent, um, I think, a good chunk of our country, and, and you know, but yet they all go down paths that lead them towards possibly committing horrific, vi horrific violence.
Well, it it sounds interesting. Um, and how is it available? Is it in a bookstore? Is it online? Yeah, it's available. Um, Amazon. Um, you can find it if you probably go to your local bookstore's website. I'm sure they can order it for you. So wherever you usually buy a book, uh, you can probably get a copy. Uh, and do you have a new one you're working on? I haven't started one yet, so I'm kind of letting the, the dust settle on Parabellum and working on getting it out to the world and before I start something new. So hopefully maybe in the next few weeks I'll kind of sit down and start planning out what I want to do next. Okay, sounds good. And especially with the subject matter, you, you need the downtime to just relax and yeah. get away from that. <laughs> get those thought processes. <laughs> Um, what uh, is your social media and do you have a website? Yes, my website is com. so my name and then writes W-R-I-T-E-S dot com um, that's probably the best place to find me I've got you know, information about all my books I've got a free short novel that's up on my website it's called The Theory of Anything so listeners who are interested in my writing can download that reading something for free um, and then I'm on Facebook and Twitter and, and the usual social media channels um, I think the best place to probably find out about those is through my website as well uh, just because uh, I don't know about tell me about the book that you were just talking about the one that just that you can like download for free is it a full book sure uh, it's a novella so short novel uh, and what's about. it about it's about a university professor, brilliant mathematics professor, um, who comes upon a robbery in an alley, and he interrupts the robbery, um, disarms the robber, and then suddenly shoots this man dead. And the story moves backward through this professor's life um, in the days leading up to this killing and looks at what's going on in his life. Um, circumstances in his professional life and his personal life that led him to this place. Interesting. You never mentioned that one before, Greg. <laughs> it is a short prequel that I put out. Um, it's a prequel to my novel, The Friar's Lantern, which I think we, we talked about we last. We did talk about that, yes. So it, it, it follows one of the main characters in The Friar's Lantern um, and kind of, I don't, I don't think it matters for readers if they read it before or after they read The Friar's Lantern, but it sets up some of the events in The Friar's Lantern. Okay, cool. Um, so, hear that, everybody? can get a free book. Just go to Greg's website. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, thanks for coming on, and I hope you enjoyed it. I did. Thank you. It's always good to talk to you. Oh, wait. You're, um, are you on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, any of that? Yes, all of those. Um, I, I handle a slightly different problem, but I think like going through my website would be the easiest way. Oh, okay. There are, I give you, I give you the information later if you want to put in show notes or something like that. Okay, all right. I just wanted to not let anybody not be able to get in touch with you. Um, <laughs> but if I didn't want to miss anything. Um, but that's fine. Uh, so everybody go to Greg's website and you can get, uh, say hi and you can download a free novel and you can find out about his other 
two novels, and um, all about Greg. Thank you, Greg. Thank you. And thank you for chatting with Sherry. Thank you.